0: One year ago, Traditionis Custodes was promulgated. Now we see a number of myths that have been used to support the suppression of the Latin Mass. Today on the One Peter Five podcast, we talk with Gregory De Pippo of New Liturgical Movement and give the faithful the resources we need to debunk these myths. So... Jesus is King. Welcome to the One Peter Five Podcast, Rebuilding Christendom, Restoring Catholic Culture and Tradition. I'm Timothy Flanders, the editor-in-chief of One Peter Five, and I'm joined today by Gregory DePippo, editor-in-chief of New Liturgical Movement. Gregory, how are you doing? Very well. Thanks for coming on today. Looking forward to talking about this important topic. And uh, before we get into it, if you're if you're interested in the liturgy and you're not reading New Liturgical Movement. You need to go to NewLiturgicalMovement.com and subscribe.
1: Dot org, dot org.
0: Dot org. Oh, sorry. org. Thank you. Uh, NewLiturgicalMovement.org. And tell us, uh, Gregory, what's going on? What's what's uh, what's the latest from New Liturgical Movement?
1: Um, actually, it's funny you should ask because we, we, um, we just have, um, we're, we're right in the middle of a very interesting uh, article, which is quite long, so I put it in in, in several parts um, about inculturation, uh, written by a Nigerian person who did a lot of research uh, for this for this piece um, and really debunks the myths underlying the idea of of um, inculturation. Uh, did a great thing he talked about which is you know Nigeria and that, that the Igbo language is apparently disappearing I, just, I don't know much about these things he said it wasn't the um you know it wasn't Latin that killed Irish it was English that killed Irish and likewise it's not Latin that's killing Igbo it's English that's killing Igbo that, that it's the um yeah that, that, that's that's the part of it so um and it's really fascinating. I commend the author tremendously for, for the research um, which went into this thing. It's really extraordinary. We've got another one coming up which in September, which I think will be kind of a blockbuster, which is about um, Anibale Bonini's account of what he was planning on doing with the principally the office already writing in the 40s about how radical this is going to be. So,
0: Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, I know that Africa is an interesting example of that because there are so many different languages and yes. latin can provide really this unifying force uh that archbishop lefebvre actually saw when he mm-hmm. was in africa they were all the africans were chanting the the propers and everything they loved it
1: Absolutely. um
0: very interesting excellent so go, yes go over to awesome. new liturgical movement.org to find out more it's an excellent online journal all things liturgy it uh covers really all sorts of different not just the roman rite but all the other western rites and the eastern rites and the whole gamut so it's a wonderful website um before we get into say. sorry go ahead
1: because no, it's very kind of you to say
0: yes of course yeah i i mean uh the new liturgical movement has been at the cutting edge for years so <clears throat> before we get into our topic just to remind everybody we are one peter five we do need your support we are in need of new monthly donors we are a non and this content is free for everybody, but it's not free to produce. We have our own bills just like everybody else. So please go to onepeter5.com slash donate to help support our cause. Anything you can spare, $5, 10 15 a month, anything helps. So thanks a lot. Let's get into our topic. Five myths behind Traditiones Custodes. So Gregory, before we get into the specific myths... Um, What has been your impression of the response of the bishops and the faithful? Um, Is are people buying it after one year? What do you What do you think? What's your impression?
1: Um, Well, it's 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 all over the map. Uh, In I would obviously among the faithful who love the the traditional liturgy, obviously tremendous dismay and, and and a feeling that they have been really relegated to I mean to say in some places to say second-class citizens would be incredibly generous I mean they have been effectively deprived of the rights of citizenship within the church um and they've been told effectively we don't like you we don't want you so just go away um and I know that sounds very very harsh but you know the reality is that you know some places have implemented it, with a harshness that goes well beyond the letter of the document itself. Um, I haven't honestly seen a lot of people, lay people speaking out in favor of it, um, a few. And um, I have uh, heard a lot of lay people I mean, who, who aren't particularly interested in the traditional uh, liturgy saying that they really thought that it was just not fair and ju- and not just um I, I i wouldn't be at liberty to say exactly where because this is how we live now but you know one person that i know who is an administrator of a church a, a lay woman who has not never been to the traditional mass ever in her life she said she said it just seems very mean so um, I, I think among the bishops it's really all over the place uh, some of them have unfortunately embraced it quite enthusiastically um but i think that a lot of them have actually very quietly said yes we'll you know implement this 10 years into the next papacy <laughs> so um which is to say that you know i mean that that that, that most bishops have had very positive experiences with their traditional minded faithful and don't have any particular desire to bring any sadness and difficulty into their lives and and I just hope that that trend continues um so uh, you know and, and, and then there's all kinds of places in between I mean I understand many bishops certainly feel they're caught between a rock and a hard place and that they want to be obedient to the church and just don't know how to do that while simultaneously bringing sadness into the lives of the faithful unnecessarily. Yes.
0: Yeah. um, So we want to offer these five myths as just an offering to the conversation. um, And we certainly do so in a spirit of charity and piety towards all the bishops and clergy and the hierarchy. Um, But it, it does seem that there are a number of different misconceptions, misunderstandings about, the liturgical history, different things that are put forward as justification for this um, in in large part. I, let me get one more comment from you before we get into this, because it does seem to me that by and large, um, you know, your organization is called New Liturgical Movement, which is I, I think that term did come straight from Ratzinger, am I right? Is it, did yes. it come from Ratzinger? Yes. Um, well, yes. Yeah, so Ratzinger, I, I know that it was in um, his memoirs, at least. I don't know if that was the first time he said New Liturgical Movement, but his, it seems that very much in general, uh, this is all based on taking all the work of Joseph Ratzinger in particular and Pope Benedict and really just putting them down the memory hole and just sort of flushing them down the toilet like they never happened. Um, what do you? What is your sense? Do you think that that's one of the big things propping up these suppressions?
1: Um, to a large degree, certainly, that that Joseph Ratzinger, um, who was one of the most prominent theological voices in the church for a long time before he became pope, was one of the few major prelates who was willing to say. What went wrong with the liturgical reform, and why it went wrong? And he did so as an eyewitness because he was, of course, one of the periti at the council. And, and you know, I mean, not just you know any peritos. I mean, he was a well-known figure at the time, so um, and, and very well respected. So certainly, you know, some more pontificum is the fruit of his long reflection on the many, many problems that came out of the liturgical reform. And you know, I, unfortunately, I mean, Traditionus Custodes is to a large degree, not just memory hauling his work, but memory holding the idea that there's a problem to be dealt with. <laughs> so there was some to say, well, no, because there is no problem. Therefore, it doesn't need the solution, which is more difficult. And and so but but I would say and 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 but that ties in with the work of a very large number of other people. Uh there were many scholars who in many different ways tackled all kinds of different topics related to the liturgy question, and and some some of whom were involved in creating it. You know, um, um, there's a, a French canon named Martin More. He wrote one of this sort of most important articles about. What they had done wrong with the lectionary in 1984. He was a member of the consilium. So yeah, I mean that that this this project is essentially memory-holding the whole project. But you know, there's the internet. Yes, <laughs> and so that's not going to work.
0: Yeah, there <laughs> so, is the internet. So yeah, Joseph Bratcher will he will feature prominently in in our presentation here. But I just yes. thought of this. This is from milestones. I just wanted to okay. quote this real quick before we get into okay. this. Um, where he says, uh, so this was written hmm, 98, I think, 97. So this is 1987. He says, I am convinced, this is page 148 in the Ignatius edition, I am convinced that the crisis in the church that we are experiencing today is to a large extent due to the disintegration of the liturgy. Um, And then he he later says, this is why we need a new liturgical movement, which will call to life the real heritage of the Second Vatican Council, obviously indicating that goes to our first myth, which is that the Nova Sordo is not a fulfillment. It's not the completion of, of what Vatican two, yes. the best intentions of Vatican two. So let's get into this presentation. I thought that, um, I could just read, read our quotes, and then, uh, I can just have your comments, um, Gregory, as we go along here. Um, so the first myth is, um, that the Novus Ordo fulfills Vatican II. Um, this is what was stated in Traditionis Custodes. It's been said again in de- various decrees of bishops uh, that if you if you have any sort of critique of the Novus Ordo as promulgated, uh, or if you want the Latin Mass I- instead of Novus Ordo, you are rejecting Vatican II. So here's Father Joseph Ratzker in 1976. He says, quote, I can say with certainty from my knowledge of the council debate, and from rereading the speeches of the council fathers delivered at the time, that this Novus Ordo was not intended by them. And then he says again in 86, this is after he's become a bishop and a cardinal, quote, in part, it is simply a fact that the council was pushed aside. The new missal was published as if it were a book put together by professors, not a phase in a continual growth process. Such a thing has never happened before. It is absolutely contrary to the laws of liturgical growth, end quote. And you can you can click below for this entire presentation, so you can get all these sources, and you can click into all these to get all the documentations and citations you need for all these. Um, but that's from a one Peter five article by Kwasniewski. Um, uh, Gregory, what, what are your comments on, on Ratziger's observations here?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they're absolutely spot on. So, I mean, and and you know, might as well start with the elephant in the room now that the Novus order is what it is in its essence and its nature that is to say what it is intrinsically not extrinsically but intrinsically because the concilium which is the committee that was put together to create the new right with unfortunately the approval of pope Paul VI explicitly rejected the letter of sacrosanctum concilium Sacrosanctum Concilium said, "Do this," and they said, "No, we're going to do that instead." So, you know, and 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 w- when I was thinking about how it, you know sort of explain this, that that there is a way. <laughs> actually, sorry, a quote came to mind from from G.K. Chesterton, where uh, he was talking about. I, I'm pretty sure it's in Orthodoxy, where he's talking about you know belief in miracles and you know, rationalist scientists will say that there's no evidence for miracles. And he says, no, there is a, I, I think he uses the, express, he uses the expression, um, choking tide of evidence <laughs> that there are miracles. So it's just, you start from the a priori assumption that there aren't any, and you work backwards from that and debunk all of the attestation of miracles. And likewise here, I mean, there is a choking tide of evidence. That the liturgical reform is not what the Council Fathers wished and asked for. So, and and so unfortunately what's happened is that that you um people start from the a priori assumption, and and you know, lay aside the question of why they do this, because motivations are vary from person to person, but they start from the a priori assumption that the liturgy, as we have it in the Novus Ordo. Is what Vatican II ask for, and work backwards from that. But you know, it's it simply if you start from Sacrosanctum Concilium work forwards, it's just indefensible. Um, and, and there are innumerable examples I can give. The the the, the, the fastest one is the easiest one. To, one of the one of the easiest ones to explain. Paragraph ninety-two of um, Sacrosanctum Concilium talks about the readings of the lives of the saints in the breviary. So which. And and the custom of reading the life of a saint is a thing that goes back as far back as the liturgy goes. Um, We have have several cases where we have the the, the acts of martyrdom preserved. People like Saint Cyprian or the martyrs of um, Massacandida in, in Africa. And the reason why we have them is that people went to the courts and got copies of the acts and they read them in the liturgy and we have church fathers attesting this explicitly in the the ambrosian rite to this day they still read them in the mass on certain feast days so the first reading is actually not from the scriptures it's from the life of the saint in the roman rite we do this in the breviary so sacrosanto concilium refers explicitly to keeping up this custom because it says that these lives of the saints that are read in the breviary have to be conformed to the facts of history, which say we don't want you know, false legends included in them. And what the committee that created the new Liturgy of the Hours did was they um, simply took out all of them. There, there, there are a couple of exceptions where the religious orders of the saints were protested, <laughs> and so they put them back. But so you don't read the lives of the saints at all in the divine office anymore you read an edifying thing written by the saint in some cases you know saint cecilia is patron saint of music so they don't read anything about her life at all <laughs> they read a treatise from saint augustine about how great music is so i mean this is simply you know flat out defiance of the letter of 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 and Chilean. and and that what i what i just said about that one paragraph you can take most of the paragraphs of something concilium and just sort of multiply it forward from there. So, you know, and and then this is the great elephant in the room: is is that there is too little willingness to deal with the fact that the liturgical reform is not the fulfillment of Vatican II. Um, but in the same way that you know it is often extremely difficult to persuade a rationalist that miracles happen. I mean, there are a lot of people who simply don't want to deal with this issue and, and, and this problem. So, you know, they would simply reject this premise um, on, on one ground or another to various degrees of speciousness. But no, I mean, and, and that's how I mean, this, this is, as, as, as Dr. Krasniewski described it, you know, this is the, the, the one point on which everything is balanced that we have to embrace the novus ordo to accept Vatican II, but the novus ordo itself rejects Vatican II. So
0: yes that I think that, that's that's exactly what Ratziger is, is spent so much of his life trying to work to correct that the novus ordo could actually fulfill it by by making all these adjustments to its promulgation uh on so pontificum, obviously um Can you comment on the 67 Synod of Bishops? This was when the Novus Ordo was presented to a group of bishops. And uh, Michael Davies, in his text, Pope Paul's New Mass, mentions the numbers where the Novus Ordo was presented. And there is uh, 71 votes. Yes, they approved it as is. 43 voted no. They do not approve it as is. And 62 said yes, but meaning they wanted something changed in the Novus Ordo. So it was not approved as is, but there was a a general on the yes side, and there was four abstentions. And he notes that you can kind of take this either way, but he says this, quote, what is beyond dispute is that only a minority of the bishops at the synod found the Misa Norvativa, that is the Novus Ordo, acceptable as it stood. And there were only a few significant changes to that original Beyond the welcome restoration of the Orate Fratres, um, so the evidence seems to suggest Gregory that there was a, a, a quite quite a dispute among the bishops about the Novus Ordo, and even goes into the 70s when Bonini is sacked and there's a lot of uh, opposition to him. Eve Chiron says this has nothing to do with Freemasonry, there's just a big opposition from the C- from the CDF coming at him. Sure. Um, can you comment at all about on, on the question of does it fulfill Vatican II about the bishops disputes among themselves about the Novus Ordo?
1: Well, you know, there clearly were many bishops and some of them very prominent individuals. The Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster, for example, who famously said about that particular mass that he saw in, in 1967, that the people who created this have obviously never been parish priests. And if this is what the liturgy is going to be like, there'll be nothing left but women, old women and children. In, in our churches, which unfortunately has to no small degree proved true. Um, but you know, it and it is certainly true that the process took place in tremendous haste. So, you know, a, a missile was issued in 1965, which you know made a number of rubrical adjustments, a few changes, the removal of the last gospel, um, and, and Psalm 42. Um, The doxology at the end of the canon was said out loud and and seemed like, okay, that's, you know, that's, we're done. So I don't think it's particularly well done, but it was done. So at the time, it was just assumed that that was the process. So essentially, this whole thing is happening in four years. And what this means is that there is no time for the whole thing to be properly studied and reviewed, that you're basically tearing down and rebuilding the entire liturgy. Which you know, the church has poured fifteen hundred years of its creative force and its pastoral experience into this thing, and you're tearing the whole thing down and rebuilding it in four years. So you know, of course, yeah, the bishops were 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 very dissatisfied in 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 a whole bunch of ways. and, and the 19, that episode is is, is one expression um, of their dissatisfaction. Unfortunately, you know, there was no interest in the part of the concilium really in 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 paying attention to their suggestions because they knew that at a certain point there would be a backlash and there would be shut and they would be shut down, as happened. So so you know, they just did everything as rapidly as they could, knowing that their window in which to to, to push all this stuff through was 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 very narrow. Um and and Cardinal Antonelli who was a member of the concilium and very much in favor of the reform of the idea of reform, not, not that reform per se. It's like, you know, everybody here has come here to this to bring their own bright ideas into it. So in 1967, what the bishops are seeing is a liturgy based on the bright ideas and pet projects of the individual members of the concilium. And, and, and that's just what they went with. <laughs> and so, um it's just a very very it's hard to reconcile that with the fact that these people 5 years earlier voted from Sacra Concilium and already in 1967 all kinds of things have been introduced which have nothing to do with the letter of and Concilium
0: yes that that's um i remember the the quote in mass of the ages from this synod where they said something where well we have to we have to try this for 20 years to see if the youth find this mass as powerful as did our forefathers and i think that that's an interesting comment right. uh, again regarding the the old women and children of course yeah. um so let's get into our next myth here which is sumorum pontificum was only a pastoral concession to the sspx this is oh, wow. specifically what Traditionis um, Custodes says says well we were just making a concession to the SSPX that was the whole reason for this and it didn't work out so now we're going to revoke that. What's interesting is that in in uh, last testament so this is kind of an kind of an official explanation of Sumorum Pontificum which is published as an interview with Peter Zavald um, with Pope Emeritus Benedict and he says this Zavald says. The reauthorization of the Tridentine Mass is often interpreted primarily as a concession to the SSPX, which is exactly how it is primarily interpreted in Traditionus custodus. And Benedict Emeritus says this quote: "That is just absolutely false. It was important for me that the Church is one with herself inwardly, with her own past. That what was previously holy to her is not somehow wrong now. The right must develop. In that sense, reform is appropriate." but the continuity must not be ruptured. The SSPX is based on the fact that people felt the church was renouncing itself. That must not be. But as I said, my intentions were not of a tactical nature. They were about the substance of the matter itself, the inward reconciliation of the church with itself, end quote. Now he does go on to say that, yes, there was a secondary concern with the SSPX, but what this indicates is that the primary objective of Samoran Pontificum was to restore continuity of the church with herself so this indicates that even if the sspx didn't exist he still would have been done some more than pontificum but it had because it had to do with the substance of the matter itself gregory what are your comments on that
1: Well certainly i you know the ipsa it <laughs> you know so i mean it is unfortunately you know i mean in in when when this history of this is all written in a sort of future which is sort of a little more dispassionate, and this is all less raw, one of the problems that will have to be dealt with is the question of how Tradiciones custodias could be you know, promulgated with a statement which is so difficult to reconcile with the facts, let's just put it that way. <laughs> so, um, and if you want to know why I'm speaking in this sort of circuitous fashion, it's called Canon 1373. So, um and and you know but i mean the entire magisterium of, of, of the 16th talked about this problem that because the post-conciliar reform represents such a violent rupture not just with the you know words of Concilium, but with the whole tradition of the roman Rite from day one and 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 one can also go so far as to say that in some respects it represents a violent rupture with the entirety of the historical liturgical tradition of of, of all the churches. So, I mean, there are aspects um, like like having a full Lent, which in the Roman rite we call Septuagesima, which are simply universal to or or nearly universal. Which they just said, "No, nah, we're getting rid of that um, with no warrant from sacrosanct concilia and, and Benedict was always haunted by this problem that the church continuity is essential to the nature of Catholicism itself. I mean, we, we call it the apostolic tradition, means the thing that tradizio is to hand down. So, and, and so, you know, Benedict was always worried about this. How can we understand that there is a continuity? When it's such an obvious rupture, and this is why I I, I think that those statements need to be informed by what he what he says also about mutual enrichment, that the traditional right needed to exist, not just for continue to exist, not just for pastoral reasons and not just for pastoral reasons regarding the priests and faithful of the SSPX. But, and, and, and for the faithful who love the traditional right, but also that it needs to continue to exist as a reference point for a future correction of the violent rupture represented by the Novus Ordo, the violent rejection of Sacrosanctum concilium that, 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 that comes along with that. Because you, know, you, you just cannot go on with this in the history of the church and, and retain any kind of credibility that 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 you, you cannot celebrate, you cannot have as the normative liturgy, and this goes back to our first point, you cannot have as the normative liturgy for the church, something which you're saying is the fulfillment of the will of an ecumenical council when it is so obviously the rejection of the will of, of an ecumenical council. So, you know, and, and, and I mean, that's just where we stand right now. And again, this is, you know, this is all, very, very complicated theological problem that will need to be resolved in the future. We cannot go on without resolving this.
0: Yes, that re- recalls what Cardinal Sarah said after Tetsi Unis just echoing Ratzinger. He said that the legitimacy of the church, her only legitimacy is her consistency and continuity. Yes. Uh, how will anyone take the church seriously if we're rejecting what immediately came before? And yes. if, speaking of that, that brings us to myth number three which is, the Reverend Novus Ordo is the substitute for the Latin Mass. Now, here we quote from Matthew Hazel, where he says, uh, drawing on his research, quote, a mere 13%, that's 165, of the 1,273 prayers of the Latin Mass found their way unchanged into the Reformed Missal of Paul VI. So what this means is, (laughs) Of all the different prayers, so the collects, the post communion, and the different prayers that are at every mass, there's only 165 of those, 13% of those that are contained in the Latin mass are also contained in the new mass without any change whatsoever. Now, he makes these distinctions. Some of them were edited. 24% were edited. A further 16% were sentonized, which is when, when they combine different prayers. Mm-hmm. And then there was 52%, which were completely removed. Absolutely. So this this all combines to make uh, this graph is the the total. So on the left side, you have um the blue on the on the bottom there, the unchanged. So that that pie, that's the pie of the Latin mass that you get in the most reverent novus Ordo possible of the prayers that exist in the Latin Mass and these are prayers that reference things like sin, hell, wrath, etc. uh things that reference fasting, bodily fasting for example. Um, things of this nature that were removed in forming the new mass. So even if you have the most perfectly reverent possible new mass, if you look in your missile, you're only going to get 13% of the old prayers of our forefathers. Unchanged. So it's very as you as you said, this is a violent, very very violent rupture. If you had a building, if someone had a building, and you know this beautiful architect, you had like the you know the cathedral of Notre Dame, which which burned. You know, I don't know how much how what percentage of that burned. It wasn't it wasn't up to thirteen percent. I think I think we we there were saved more than that. But if you had sure. a building, oh, sure. yeah, you know, no, certainly certainly, <laughs> yeah. If you, had a, if you had a building and you just destroyed or altered. 87 percent of that building right. that's violence right. you don't have the same building anymore
1: right so okay so well okay so, so well right, so i have a lot to say about this i'll try to be succinct. um I mean, obviously this is this is a, a, a philosophical question actually which goes back to the you know plato and aristotle that that where does the nature of the thing lie such that as you change it it becomes a different thing. So, and, and, you know, this is what, you know, the famous thing about the, or, or summed up by the farmer who says, oh, I've had this ax for 60 years and, you know, I've only changed the head twice and the handle four times. So, um, but, I, you know, I, I think we can agree that the ax that he has in 1960 is different from the one that he bought in 1900 if he's changed the head twice and the handle four times. So that is a situation in which we find ourselves, that what we, the novus order simply is not the Roman right. It's a different right. And that was not what Sacrosanctum Concilium asked for. The Sacrosanctum Concilium asked for a, a, a renewal of the Roman right. So, um, and, 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 and by the way, in terms of this discussion of violent rupture, there's another article by Matthew who, who is just a, a beast when it comes to this kind of research it's just incredible because he actually sort of dug through how we got to this point of having all the prayers changed, which is not in any way asked for by Sacrosanto Concilium. So there's your first rupture. And what happened was that Sacrosanto Concilium talks about broadening the corpus of scriptural readings. And the people who were in charge of revising the prayers said, well, the constitutional Sacred liturgy, and Concilium, said that we need to, you know, provide richer fare for the faithful at the table of God's word, which is a sort of fancy way of saying we need more scripture. So let's do that with the prayers too. So there's your first rupture that we decided, well, we're just going to do a thing that and Concilium did not in any way ask for. And then you have the issue that to the degree that this was going to be done. The, the original plan was that we would base these things on historical sources and it is true and it is a fair observation that there are plenty of things in ancient books of the Roman Rite that could well have been imported into the Missal and, and that would not have been an impoverishment but the opposite, it would have been, I think a, a very helpful enrichment. But what they did is they took all these texts and subjected them and that's what that we see in that graph. Everything, whether it was thoroughly well established from the beginning or fairly new, like colleagues of say John um canonized in 1931, and everything was subjected to this, this this brutal campaign of ideological censorship. So, and 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 you know, under the heading of you know the Reverend Novus Ordo things like that are intrinsic to it. You can't get them out. That, that this, 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 this fact that we are dealing with all of these novel collects created in a novel way that have nothing to do with the tradition of the Roman rite, and which are where they are because the concilium went against sacrosanctal concilium and couple that with what they did to the prefaces, what they did to the liturgical year, the introduction of multiple canons, et cetera, et cetera. These things are all part of the right. There's no way to get them out. And so in that sense, it's not, that 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 is why it's not a solution because the Novus Ordo is intrinsically a betrayal of what the council asked for. It is intrinsically a betrayal of the historical tradition of the Roman right. I would, however, like to qualify that, that the efforts to do the Novus Ordo well Ought not therefore to be despised in the sense that it's not going away unfortunately <laughs> it's just not so, um, there is no currently within the hierarchy of the church there is no will to address any of these problems so it is what it is and it's not going away so that it in the meantime as a kind of stopgap, it would not be that it is not to be despised the idea to sing better music, for example, to use better vestments to build better churches and and try the best you can to to celebrate the Novus Ordo in a way that is more consonant with with, with the history of the church until such time as the church is ready to start dealing with the intrinsic problems and, you know, which means fixing the text uh, yes. and, and, and then, you know, taking certain customs. I've, I've often said in, in conversations, with people like if I became Pope, God forfend, the first thing I would do about the liturgy problem, I would issue a, like a fatwa. Saying, oh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a whole bunch of things. You mean yeah, a bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some, I mean, it's, you know, ecumenism. Um, I would immediately abolish all Eucharistic prayers except one, two, and three and say every other Eucharistic prayer for useless, nobody uses it anyway. And all the ones promulgated by local authorities are simply abolished. And then say, you may never use two on a Sunday or a holy day of obligation. And that would tr- make a tremendous step forward to not having the, the the most solemn moment of the right, the consecration and, and the, the prayer Which surrounds the consecration disappear like that. I mean, that that has to end. So, and and so you know, priests who in the meantime are doing that, they say only using, I mean, preferably only using one. One is the only authentic one, but only using one or three at least on on Sundays and holy days of obligation you know, should be commended for for doing that because they're doing the best they can with, 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 you know, limited resources.
0: Yeah. Um, The, when this first struck me, Gregory, it was when, uh, on the Feast of the Holy Innocents, uh, which is where the Collect says Mm -hmm. something, the effect of, uh, Oh God, who the Holy Innocents confessed not by speech, but by dying. And then the old collect says, mortify our sins, something to the effect of mortifying <laughs> sins. But then the new collect took out that reference yeah. to mortification and sins. Yeah. And then it's just so it just has this little censored phrase and then it yeah. continues on. Yeah. And that how was when I was just like, well, I, how can I how can I teach my children the Catholic faith from this? If we're just going to take out sin and wrath and hell and all this stuff. Okay. That, that's
1: and, uh, can, I add, can I add a comment yeah, on that it, specifically? Yeah. Because that's a perfect little microcosm of the whole problem. Okay, which is that the, on the Feast of the Holy Innocence, the collect has the, the references to mortify our vices. And there is a, and I, I wrote an article about this. So if you're, you know, viewers are interested, um, it'll come up if you go to NLM and look in our search bar, just Holy Innocence, that's, that'll come up. Um, uh, certainly probably, at the, uh, definitely among the first.
0: Liturgical um, notes on the. That's the one. So. Okay, here, I'll, I'll pull it up here on the right. screen.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> and that phrase is included in, it's not an accidental phrase. It's included in the collect of the holy Innocents. That's the right, I explained that, As part of an exegetical tradition that goes back to, that's the section right there. Um, mortific, mortify in us all the evils of the vices, which that's the phrase that was expunged. That is there as part of an exegetical tradition how what do we do about some the, the statement in psalm 136 blessed uh be he that shall take and dash thy little one uh, little ones against the rock
0: oh i didn't i didn't realize this
1: okay yep. and so and that goes all the way back to origin who was very concerned how do we talk about statements of violence statements that are Statements that are, are are against the tradition of, Christ, uh, of Christian morality, the violence of somebody like King David or, or what have you. And so that phrase passes from origin to various other church fathers, St. Hilary, St. Jerome, St. Augustine, and then finds its expression in that particular collect where the smashing of babies, babies represents the idea of, of vices that are nascent, but not yet taken root. And by smashing them, that means cutting off vices off at the beginning. So when you take that phrase out, you're not just censoring an idea that modern man finds problematic. Oh, me, vices? No, of course not, I'm perfect. But you're cutting the roots of an where, where, by which the liturgy is connected to an exegetical tradition that goes right back to the beginning. And, and again, there is no warrant whatsoever for doing this in Sacrosanctum Concilium, which talks about going back to the traditions of the, the, of the Holy Fathers. Okay, well, that is a tradition of the Holy fathers. so why did you take it out?
0: Right, I, and that's, that's, I, I love that you brought that up because we not only have this pie graph situation, where we have only thirteen percent of the prayers. We also have various seasons, as you mentioned. Septuagesima is completely removed. We mm-hmm. have the Ember Tide is removed. We have other such feasts, and then you just brought up the Psalter as well. Um, yeah. And and I want to. I just pulled this, the Litters of the Hours, Volume One, because if you go to the General Instruction of the Liturgy of the Hours, Paragraph One Thirty One, it mentions how they just removed three of the Psalms as mm-hmm. well as other verses. Right. Uh, some verses, uh, quoting from the general instruction, some verses are omitted from certain psalms. These texts are omitted because of the difficulty they can cause because of their psychology.
1: Right.
0: And as you just noted, I mean, the, the church was well aware of the difficulties back Absolutely. in the sec- you 200s, know, 300s. And that's why they developed an exe- exegetical tradition, which gives a spiritual explanation to these things that at face value seem difficult. But the the question the um the solution given by the Novus Ordo is just to take them out. Right. And, and you know, this
1: this goes back to the continuity problem, which has as you know we're saying, you know, we, which has just, you know, haunted Joseph Ratzinger all of his life, is that, you know, this this violent rupture and breaking of of, of the tradition was not something that Concilium asked for, is not something that the Council Fathers envisioned. What they envisioned was that we would, you know, that 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 for them, originally the idea was that the liturgy would would be brought closer to the people that they would know this kind of thing, so that you know, if I mean, whether this would ever happen, I don't know. But let's say you know, if for the first time some you know elderly person who's always been to mass in Latin hears the collect in the vernacular for the very first time and is struck by this phrase why are we talking about mortifying our vices? Here's the perfect opportunity for the priest to explain it. That is what people like Darwin Guéranger envisioned or or of von Schuster. And, and, you know, that is how they envision the the renewal of the liturgy. The idea that, you know, an academic committee would simply come and say, well, yeah, that's difficult. Let's get rid of it. I mean, there's just, there's no justification for this.
0: So let's get to our myth number four. And this is one of the most conspicuous things about the new mass. And that is the celebration versus populum, the celebration facing the people. And this is something that has been said by a a number of different decrees of bishops implementing as Custodes um, is that you have to celebrate facing the people because this is manifesting the unity with Vatican II.
1: Um,
0: And this is something that caused innumerable churches to either rip out the high altar or neglect it, or just build a table altar. And the juxtaposition of the two is always aesthetically jarring. But uh, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger says this from 1998. He says, quote, the actual constitution on the liturgy does not speak at all about celebrating facing the altar or facing the people, end quote. Um, this was implemented with Inter Ecumenici in 1964, the instruction and through the example of Paul VI. But Joseph Ratzker's work was trying to implement a more traditional interpretation of Sacrosantic Uh, He also wrote a preface to the book Turning Toward the Lord, which debunks a lot of the scholarship which originally supported the idea that the early church faced the people and this is from his preface to that book quote historical research has made the controversy of orientation less partisan and among the faithful there is an increasing sense of the problems inherent in an arrangement that hardly shows the liturgy to be open to the things that are above and to the world to come end quote so Gregory any comments on facing the people as a manifestation of the unity with Vatican II.
1: Yes, well, I mean, again, it's, it's. I mean, <laughs> I don't see any way that you can say, well, in order to be unified with and accept Vatican II, you have to do a thing that Vatican II did not in any way ask for or countenance. So um, this has become one of the sort of flashpoints of the discussion and you know, I, I, it's it's just. I mean, what 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 ultimately underlies this is that this is one of the giant mistakes of the reform, and 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 that that you know at the time it was believed. And, and I mean, unfortunately, I, I, I believe. I hope I'm not quoting this incorrectly. You can cut this out if I did. If I am, even medieval Dei makes a reference to this. Where Pope Pius XII says it would be a mistake to return to the ancient custom of setting the altar to face the people. It was never that custom, and so, um, and 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 you know, there, the idea that it was the custom is based on an incredibly shallow understanding of history, of just complete failure to really understand and, and analyze the documents about the ancient liturgy correctly which was destroyed already by Klaus Gamber 20 years before that book, Um, and Cardinal Ratziger wrote a preface uh, for for Gamber's book. So, um, you know, it's just become this this sort of flashpoint for a problem that, you know, we're saying, oh, well, Vatican II restored the ancient custom of the church. Well, no, Vatican II didn't ask for it, and it's not the ancient custom of, of the church. So, I mean, you know, this brings us back to the problem that we're just not willing to redress these issues. Um, I would go so far as to say, however, that that, you know, one of the bigger problems here is also the idea that at the time of the reform and for for many years before the reform, there was the idea behind this, that if it's the original custom, we have to go back to it, regardless of what it is.
0: Yeah, I have I have that quote from media today, actually, which. Speaks straight to what you are saying here. Um, he says, It is neither wise nor laudable to resume this is Mediator Day 62. It is neither wise nor laudable to reduce everything to antiquity by every possible device. Thus, one would be strained from the straight path were he to wish the altar restored to its primitive table form, were come. he to want black excluded as a color from the liturgical amendments, which was later done, were he to forbid the use of sacred images and statues in churches, which was done. Were he to order the crucifix so designed that the divine redeemer's, redeemer's body shows no trace of his cruel sufferings, which was done. Lastly, were he to disdain or reject polyphonic music and singing in parts, even if were it, were it conforms to regulations issued by the Holy See. So we have this instance where every single thing mentioned that Pius XII said not to do was done. Right. But, but as you <laughs> said, he actually does believe that there was a table form when, in fact, that's not the case either. Yeah,
1: and 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 so you know, and this 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 sort of is informs the problem that the, I mean, the status of liturgical scholarship at the time of the reform, the scholarship on which it was based, is atrocious. So, but but what also lies behind that, which is theologically very problematic, is the idea that simply because a thing is ancient, therefore we must go back to it. And then you know we sort of put in parentheses, except we're not because we're going to go back to it in the with the changes that we made which are completely against what it was because what this really says is that it it, it accepts the sort of very classically lutheran notion that at a certain point the holy spirit abandoned the church let it go off and do everything wrong and now we have to go back to the way things were before the holy spirit abandoned the church and and things went wrong so this is why and, and and you know this is this is where you know if if we correct this mistake which everyone knows is a mistake. Now we are essentially acknowledging that the Novus order was grounded in a huge number of, of mistakes. And there's, but the, you know, the, the church does have a right to learn from its pastoral experience. So let's say just, you know, per impossibile. Some document is dug up out of a, you know, sand pit in Egypt, which is where they usually find these things. In which we have an encyclical letter issued by you know, Pope Everestus, or Zephyrinus, as we still yesterday, in which he says, you know, Zephyrinus to all the bishops of the world, you know, we've heard about this terrible novelty of priests standing facing east, and you know, we call you back to the original custom of the apostles, which is to stand at a table and face the faithful. Standing at a table facing the faithful would still be a terrible idea because combined with speaking and not singing, combined with the vernacular, combined with the, the the low quality of the vernacular, these things have all sort of come together to turn the mass into a performance of the individual priest. And unfortunately, there are simply too many clerics who've really gotten into that. that they like the idea that the mass is their own performance. So Versus Populum, is a big part of that, and and unfortunately, I think that the the, the sort of unlawful enforcement of versus problem as the only possibility is is very much conditioned by that idea. And and by the way, I say unlawful advisedly because it is you know the the, the rubrics of the nebulosa missile itself foresee the possibility of celebrating ad Orientum that is not facing the people. Because there's all these places where it says, and then he turns and faces the people, where that makes no sense if he's already facing the people all the time. And in point of fact, it was also the custom of of the Roman basilicas, and in some of them still is that long after the Novus Order was promulgated, they continue to celebrate the Mass ad orientem. Um, so, so that you know, I, I, and unfortunately, you know, I mean, this is the. the has a lot to do also with, you know, the state in which we live is just a state of total illegality that, you know, a a, a priest can go to his bishop and say everything that I just said, at which point the bishop can say to him, congratulations, I'm sure you'll enjoy your new appointment um, at the, you know, nursing home at the end of the diocese. And, you know, you're not going to be pastor of that really nice parish where the people really love you anymore. Mm-hmm. So you know this will all be remedied in the future, but I mean, that's, this is where we are. Yes.
0: So let's get to our, our final myth. And th- I think this, this, the final myth is that trads are dividing the church by celebrating a different liturgy. Um, there's been a constant, the, the buzzword is unity,
1: mm-hmm.
0: unity, unity. Um, And I think this requires a little bit of explanation historically, because before Trent, there was a lot of a lot more diversity in the Western liturgies. First of all, you had these traditional liturgies. You may have heard of the ambrosian rite, the Mozarabic Rite, the Saramuse. Uh, but there are also local variations in various areas of diocese and orders all over the West. Um, and then it was, and besides that, there were all these traditional Eastern liturgies as well in various other sacred languages. And so at the time of Trent, there was the issuance of Quo Primum, which su- suppressed all the liturgies that were 200 years or less to combat the Protestant iconoclasm, which ended up de facto imposing uh, uniformity, a greater uniformity at least, on the West under the Roman Rite. Now, as you pointed out, Gregory, to me, there was a a veto power given to each bishop with pro primo. they could basically not, not, just, not
1: just each bishop every member of every chapter ah okay, so, so there's the staff a... of the cathedral because in in you know in a medieval diocese, the cathedral is the reference point for how we do the liturgy in this diocese. It says with the unanimous consent of the chapter, which means that every single member of the cathedral chapter can veto this by saying, no, I refuse to approve the transition to the the Roman books. So
0: this is, um, so the local authorities, like local ecclesiastical authorities could veto this, but what ended up happening was to a very large degree, the Roman right was adopted. Yes. Very much de facto across the board in the Latin right. And. So this is a situation that arose after Trent. Right. Um, we're not going to debate about whether or not that was the best approach. But the point is, that was a uniformity that was came about as a result, um, which was a loss of this diversity. Yes. And so the other factor, as I said, is the, the Eastern churches. So let me bring up this quote here from another Vatican II document, which is... Um, the document on the Eastern churches. Now, the interesting thing about this is that during this post Tridentine period, there was an effort known as Latinizations in the Mm -hmm. East, which was uh, on the one hand, we can say there's always been some liturgical sharing East and West, a certain amount of sharing here and there, like the Feast of the Holy Cross in the West is an Eastern feast that was sort of imported into the West. Um, But there was a Latinization, which was essentially sort of an overflow of this uniformity movement, which was sort of imposing certain things into the Eastern rites. And Vatican II comes along in Ori- Orientalium Ecclesiarum and condemns and says that these, these churches, the Eastern churches must have their own rites. And then it speaks of diversity uh, in paragraph number two. The here Here's the um, comment on liturgical diversity. <clears throat> so this is quoting from Vatican II, quote, Between these, there exists an admirable bond of union, such that the variety within the church in no way harms its unity. Rather, it manifests it. For it is the mind of the Catholic Church that each individual church or rite should retain its traditions whole and entire, and likewise it should adapt its way of life to the different needs of time and place. And this is also Sacrosanctum Concilium says, a very, very similar thing in paragraph four, right in the beginning of the document, saying that it wants to foster every single authentic rite. Right. Um, so can you comment at all about liturgical diversity from this quote, Gregory?
1: Well, I mean, we have you know the statement of the of an ecumenical council that liturgical diversity does not harm the unity of of the church. Um and and in point of fact, I mean this 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 the history of Latinizations of the Eastern Church really is a, a very sad one in, in, in many ways, because you know there, there's a very famous example in the United States where a substantial chunk of, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, I believe they were, they were Ruthenians, but if, I'm, if, if anybody wants to correct me in the comments, or whatever, that's, that's okay, that, who were essentially driven out of communion with the Roman Catholic Church because of the very, very harsh treatment which they received from the Latin bishop, who simply wasn't, Latin. there's a Roman right bishop, who simply wasn't interested in in exactly that kind of diversity. And then there are all kinds of authentic customs, which go back to the ages of the fathers in some cases of the Eastern churches that were essentially eclipsed because the Catholics of Eastern right, and and very often the clergy themselves, imposed these things um, in imitation of of, of the Latin, and Vatican II rightly saw, as expressed in that document, that diversity of liturgical forms does not compromise the unity of the church and ordered this to stop. And and it has, to a very large degree, stopped. Um, And you really do see among Eastern Catholics uh, a, a, a continual growth of appreciation of their own historical Customs. So, I, and I don't see any reason why this cannot be applied to a diversity of forms of the Roman right as Pope Benedict established them. If an ecumenical council says that, you know, th- th- this is not a compromise, and, and, and the, the same ecumenical council on which we purport to ben- base the, the reform, um, I just don't see how we can say that, you know, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. Um, but there is a sort of deeper problem here also, which is that you know, the sort of itself has built, has a, a, a dramatic degree of disunity built into it in the sense that as as, as anyone, you know, if you belong to a large enough diocese, you can find, and I, I don't say disunity intrinsic in the sense of you know breaking of communion, But that, you know, if you have the one church that makes use of the, you know, still licit option to celebrate funerals in black, unfortunately it's not done, and sing the requiem mass with all of the, you know, chants according to, and, and, and do it in Latin and use incense. And then you have a church down the street, which does it all in white vestments and everything in the vernacular and sings eagle's wings, you know. These are the same, right? In theory, right? They are the same church. They, they, the priests have their faculties from the same bishop, so that you know there is so much liturgical diversity built into the Novus Ordo itself. It seems very hard to say that, oh, you know, diversity for the for me, but not for thee. So yes, and and, for and me you know, I just don't see thee, how, how all of these, things, yeah. Yeah. So I don't see how these things well, can be recognized. Reconciled with each other. Yes, exactly. So now, I, mean, would that, <laughs> so, um, now I would say that the premise here is that. Now I would say that one of the main premises of Tertitian stow Days, the traditional mass and the celebration of the traditional mass, had become a manifestation of rejection of vatican ii which as we discussed earlier simply is it not it's just a non-sequitur but rejection of communion with the local bishop rejection of communion with the pope an implicit criticism of the pope so here again it's good for the goose it's good for the gander if that is the case i deny that it's the case but if it is the case when will there be the directive Really suppressing the liturgical abuses, which, which Pope Francis says he deplores, in the letter accompanying Tridentine Custodes. When will there be the definitive decree forbidding the Germans from doing various things that they do to manifest the schism which they are currently enacting? Which you know, let's that we can be frank about. <laughs> is that, you know, I mean, the German Church is actively working towards schism. With the rest of the Roman Catholic Church, I, I, so um, and and so it seems very, very peculiar and very hard to justify that if if that is the premise, why does it apply only to the followers of the traditional mass, especially since we keep also hearing that well they're just a tiny little group anyway, so okay, well, if they're that tiny, why do they get the hammer dropped? We do get the hammer dropped on us. And then you allow the church in Germany to continue. Just, you know, the, the whole barn is in flames. So why are you not calling the firemen for that too? So, and again, this is how we live right now. <laughs> so. Yeah,
0: so if it could be said that the Latin mass is being weaponized against Vatican II or against bishop, um, the Novus Ordo is far more being weaponized against not only really most of the doctrines contained in Vatican II in yes. and of itself, but the entire tradition of the whole Catholic Church. Yes, And so by that rationale, you'd need to suppress the Novus Ordo, of course, a yes. hundred times yes. more than the Latin Mass.
1: Yes. I mean, I, I um, have seen and I have participated in a discussion with a priest of a certain age, of course. Who you know was saying how you know well we we one of the things that we really need to do to implement Vatican II is you know celebrate the novus ordo in such a way that all of the faithful present are wearing some kind of liturgical garment. Okay, <laughs> what document of Vatican II says this? What what document of Vatican II suggests that we need to incorporate into the liturgy practices? which would effectively erase the distinction between the ordained priesthood and the common priesthood. Where Finally, where this is in Vatican II, it's nowhere. All right.
0: Um, and here's uh, here's our final quote from Cardinal Muller. This is from the various responses to Traditiones Custodes. Uh, by the way, I should say, recommend... <clears throat> Well, not only the sources that we'll link here, but this text here from Benedict's Peace to Francis's war. And we want to emphasize here that, I mean, this is this contains cardinals, bishops, priests and lay faithful. And it's really, you know, sometimes it's said that, you know, these are the trads, but these are not all so-called trads. These are just kind of Catholics all across the spectrum of tradism, whatever, who are all agreeing on various points that traditionis custodis* is off base in many different ways. And one of those essays is Cardinal Muller, obviously the former head of the CDF, no small name. He says, quote, for the unity in the confession of the revealed faith and the celebration of the mysteries of grace in the seven sacraments by no means require sterile uniformity in the external liturgical form, as if the church were like one of the international hotel chains with their homogenous design, end quote. Um, when we look at the history of the church, really the 12 apostles and all of the churches they founded and the various languages that the liturgy was celebrated in and the various liturgical traditions and schools of thought that arose manifests a great deal of diversity. Really there's the Pentecost, the birth of the church is all these different languages are spoken And it's the same thing with the liturgy as it develops in all sorts of different regions. So there's always been a diversity of liturgy, but with one common faith. And that's what I think Muller is getting at. And that's really the whole history of the church. So to say that now we need to have this uniformity is really, uh, it's just making up a new idea. Yes.
1: And, and, you know, when you talk about going back to the customs of the Holy Fathers, you know, one of the, Thing, and we know this from a thousand different ways and a thousand different angles is that in the age of the holy fathers there was an even greater diversity of custom because you know we we know of all sorts of things that are attested in one place that aren't attested in another and and you know so that that you know the idea that there there is a, a really radical intellectual inconsistency on the one hand saying well we're getting rid of this thing from the roman right because it's not in the original document we are going back to this custom which is attested by one church father in one city at one time to the despite of what everyone else says about this thing when you know the era that you were talking about you know the era of of, of, of the church father, was an era of tremendous liturgical diversity so why can that not continue to exist within the church when it was a thing that 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 existed in the very era upon which you purport to be modeling your form
0: right uh to to finish this i want to uh, what you you've gone back to again and again gregory is this this intellectual inconsistency and i think that Ratzinger really puts his finger on what's behind this i think in that there is a weaponization of the Novus Ordo against the Council of Trent. Uh, he says, "In so this is quoting from his Complete Works, page 544. He says, quote, he, in this whole address, he's talking about all these Catholic, Catholic theologians who are arguing basically that Luther was right. Mm-hmm. Trent was wrong about the Mass as a sacrifice and all this stuff. And he's talking all about this. And then he concludes by making this comment about the Latin Mass, page 544. Only against this background of the effective denial of the authority of Trent can one understand the bitterness of the struggle against allowing the celebration of Mass, according to the 1962 Missal, that's the Latin Mass, after the liturgical reform. The possibility of so celebrating constitutes the strongest, and thus, for them, the most intolerable contradiction of the opinion of those who believe that the faith in the Eucharist and formulated by Trent has lost its validity." So he's saying that there's there's all these there's this massive base of Catholic so-called intellectuals out there who are pushing for suppressing the Latin mass because essentially they're just embarrassed to be Catholic in the face of all these Lutheran or Protestant or rationalist academic colleagues they may have. And they just want to say, oh, well, let's just move on from Trent. Let's have a Novus Ordo that's – and we don't like this Latin mass because it's obviously the Tridentine mass. Um, what do you think? Is Ratziger – putting his finger on something, what do you think, Gregory?
1: Oh, certainly. That is to say that, that there is um, a, a real, there, there, there are, people talked about this before Vatican II ever began, that the, the movement, which they call ressourcement, of going back to the sources had kind of, I mean, there, there are some thinkers within this current who are, are very good and some who are just dreadful, and they had kind of you know tricked themselves into this mindset that there is a point at which things just start to go wrong. And 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 although you know Trent is kind of a flashpoint, but many of them would really put it to the era of the mendic when the mendicants became part of the university system in the 13th century. And and, and and so, and they would say that that's where theology started to really go wrong and that, that the, what Trent does is it takes this sort of scholastic theology and canonizes it. You know, there's a famous thing that on the, on the altar of Trent at the, at the cathedral where they held the council, they had the Bible, um, the Summa Theologica and the common canon law. And so, which I, I think that may actually part, at least in part of an urban legend, but that's an expression of what what Trent genuinely did do, which was synthesize everything that had been going on within the church, from the transition from the apostles to the apostolic fathers, from the apostolic fathers to the sub apostolic fathers to the apologists et cetera et cetera and that what what this 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 small movement was doing was basically saying, no, at a certain point everything went wrong, we have to go back to that point, so but you know, particularly—I I mean, there there are lots of fields of this where I'm just not competent to speak, you know, about St. Thomas. I'm, I'm not a domestic expert. But the problem is that the liturgical reform itself cuts out stuff that goes way back before that, and so that that, that I, I think that he's absolutely Cardinal Ratzinger is absolutely correct. To say that it is part of this rejection of Trent, but it's a rejection of Trent as as, as in it's a rejection of Trent as a step in the path of continuity that connects the church all the way back to the very beginning. And yeah, I mean, whether it was motivated, I, I you know, I I've always been, i I've, I've never been really sure whether that was motivated so much by a desire to emulate Protestants per se. Or whether it's more what what Protestant churches have become in the wake of the rise of modernism, which you know the, the rejection of revealed religion, and and I really think that it's it's not so much that they want to be like Luther, it's that they want to be like the Lutheran pastor who doesn't really believe in a revealed religion anymore at all, which we can't say that with Luther, so. Yeah. yeah. And 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 you know I mean the, the the doctrinal formulations of Trent are just impossible to reconcile with that because Trent really is the sort of synthesis of all of these things and it's, it's not to say that there was nothing to be rediscovered in the early church but you know that yes I mean there there is you can't. Cut off from trend, and that—that that is what they did. Is that they—they they, they essentially want to pretend that we're just going to go back to a certain point and start over from that point, rather than do all of this in continuity. So I don't know if I expressed myself as well as yeah. I could have there. But uh, so, you know.
0: That's that's exactly right. That is the again what Ratzinger says as well that we've abandoned the organic growth. And I know you've thrown concerns about the term organic, but that's that's what is your that is what you're saying in terms of. The transmission and the the growth and the the continuity.
1: Certainly, uh, yeah. We, we I mean we have certainly been in the part the the, the concept of growth that has said one thing growing out of another, one theological tradition building on another. There are certainly people for whom the Novus order has become the flashpoint, whereby we declare this point is the point at which everything goes wrong. So we have to get rid of everything that came after that point. So. Um, And actually, can I, can I add a thing here related related to that, Sure. which goes back to something I was thinking of at the very beginning when we were talking about now, except that now there's the internet, because I had a conversation a long, long time. I remember this very vividly. I could tell you, I could tell you, I could show you on Google maps exactly where this conversation took place in Rome in 1997 at a restaurant (laughs) sitting next to the Church of San Andrea de la Valle. And... One of the people at the table, I was, I had, I, my, I was only really just getting my first exposure to the traditional mass at that point um, for a couple of years, and and we're having this conversation, and one of the people at the table is telling me how no 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 because you know we we needed to go back to we we had to have the Novus Ordo so we could go back to what's in the Gelasian Sacramentary, which is the oldest missal of. Roman right that survives There's the oldest collection of prayers it's not properly te- it's not technically a missile so we have to go back to that and there you see that's the distillation of the whole that's one tiny little box that contains the whole thing that we have to go back to the point before they started developing other things and everything went wrong and at the time i was kind of baffled by this because it's not like you could just you know walk into the Vatican library and say, could I have your copy, I mean, there's only one copy of it. And it's, you know, it's 1300 years old. So it's like, you know, can I look at your Gelasian Sacramentary? But now there's the internet. And so now I have a PDF copy of a <laughs> critical edition of the Gelasian Sacramentary. And, and not just me, I mean, it's there, it's on archive.org. And I read it, I was just like, gosh, there's just not the Nevis Ordo in here. So. <laughs> But that's, you know, I mean, yeah, this, is, this, is, this is where we are. And so, but, and, and, and I, I should say, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound too pessimistic because there will come a point in which all this will be redressed and put to rights. Um, I mean, if the history of the church teaches us anything, it's that, you know, all kinds of problems and difficulties can become deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in it, such that no reasonable person would look at the status of the church and say, oh, well, yeah, that's all going to be fine. And yet within a astoundingly short period of time, people said, yeah, that's a problem. We need to fix it and did actually fix it.
0: Yes. I, well, I think that, that that's a great note to end on because it, I think that we would be, if we're criticizing the Novus Ordo for uh, not trusting in the Holy Spirit, we should not imitate that error by basically well saying oh well we need to just if we only did this or we only did that and we only got this going and we could fix this all uh if we're trusting in ourselves uh and we're trusting in man uh put out your trust in princes we need to trust in the holy spirit to resolve this which he yes. will and uh so for that let's 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 end with a hail mary um, this is our Russian Catholic icon of Our Lady of Fatima, patroness cool. of One Peter Five. Uh, let's let's put our trust in Our Lady's intercession that uh, all of these things will be resolved in due time, and we ask for faith, hope, and charity in the Holy Spirit in our time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In
0: the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.